Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. Well, I hope you're all well and safe and happy. I hope you had a good three or four, I can't quite remember, weeks off of the podcast. Um, well, there's, you know, there's so many back episodes, it doesn't really matter, does it? But I just thought I need a bit of a break, a bit of time away. So I thought summer's a great time for that. So anyway, here we are. We're back again. And this week, I've got an interview with Luke and Lee, who are the bassist and the drummer, respectively, of Circus 66. Circus 66 are making some real inroads into the rock scene. So I really wanted to chat with them about how they're operating, how it's all working, things like that. So this week we chat about how they both got into the band with the encouragement of their wives, <laughs> being drunk at gigs and doing surprisingly well, and when your gear cuts out mid-song, what do you do, how do you react, that kind of thing. It's worth saying that because this is quite a long interview, I've split it up into two episodes. The first part is this week, the second part will be out next week. At the end of the second episode, I asked them both for their favourite song to play at the end of the podcast. And I'm going to play the first of their choices this week. So Luke's choice is called When the Black Crow Flies. And you'll have to wait until the end of next week to find out why it's his favourite one. But suffice to say, it is his favourite. So it's going on at the end of this interview. Anyway, I'm going to stop blathering on. On with the interview. So today on the podcast, I'm joined by Luke and Lee of Circus 66. How are you both? Hey, Phil, how's it going? Yeah, really good, mate. How are you? Warm. Yes, it's a warm day. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this this particular episode is going to be going out in September. As we record, it is one of the warmest days in July I've ever known. And I'm I'm melting. But there we go. There we go. How are you, Luke? Uh, all good. Um, just to say thanks for having us, Phil. Really glad to be with you today. Welcome aboard, if that's the right terminology. I don't know. So my first question, as always, is from a random question generator. So my random question generator today is asking, what is one of your favourite smells? Interesting. Yeah, I could be a little um, a little romantic and say it's the smell of fresh grass when the rain has been poured over a, a lovely, beautiful picnic with my gorgeous wife. But it's probably a sweaty gig room with a few beers being spilt all over me is that a good smell that's where i feel at home is that a good smell well it's uh i don't know it, it reminds me of the the good times that you know we used to have it's evocative now we're in this apocalypse it's uh, a distant memory which i'm craving yeah worst apocalypse ever by the way i mean didn't even have zombies like what's that all about i know right i think for me it would be the smell of citronella because it reminds me of hot tropical places and keeping those horrible mosquitoes away bit of a boring answer from me but i'm a simple man that's fine that's fine it's, it's the honest answer that's why i like about it so uh on to i guess more serious questions um how did each of you get into music in the first place so for me um i started at a young age from school really uh, my dad's a guitar player uh, he was always playing music around the house, uh, getting me into some of the old classic rock stuff. Um, so he bought me my first guitar, which was a, a Squire Stratocaster. I remember it. Very, very wise uh, decision on his behalf, trying to get me to play guitar. It lasted about, I don't know, a year or two. And then um, I met a drummer at school 
and I was just obsessed. I was like, why, why am I not doing this? This is so much more fun. I get to beat stuff with some sticks. Um, yeah, so it was a little bit like, that's annoying. I just bought you a guitar <laughs> for Christmas, spent all this money. Well, I say all this money, but, you know, to buy the effects pedals that I wanted and the amplifier and all of that jazz to then turn around and be like, actually, I want to be a drummer. Dribble, dribble, dribble. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. Really. I mean, the influences, yeah, they come through from my dad. Um, and then it's just the crowd at school, you know, it's the typical stand out don't follow the crowd sort of thing that was that sort of me written all over i don't like to follow the crowd once dizzy rascal was coming out on cd and all that it just wasn't a bit of me so yeah i think i just uh, hung around with the right people to get me into the stuff i'm doing right now similar for me really we uh, again you know while we're on the topic of musician dads right my my dad was a uh, a part-time keyboard and bass player and uh, and I remember from a young age, I was always, you know, I'd, I'd be messing around with the ivories and, you know, never any good at it. Started out with some keyboard and piano lessons, got got reasonable at it, I'd say. Learned a lot about music, but kind of lost my love for it when I was at school. And then I remember going uh, into my kind of formative years as a, you know, late teens coming out of school, going into college. Everybody I knew was going into a band and everybody everybody I knew wanted to be a guitar player or a drummer or a singer. Nobody wanted to play the bass. And I kind of felt a little bit left out. And I was like, well, everyone's going to need a bass player. I can play for all these different bands. And, you know, I know, I'll go buy a bass. And I still remember the conversation with my dad at the ripe old age of 16, where he said to me, good on you, lad, but don't spend too much money because it's just a fad. It's one of your fads and it won't stick. Fast forward, you know, I'm, I'm however many years, 25 years now or something like that. And my dad is is still, you know, I remind him of that conversation and he says to me, yeah, I was so wrong. <laughs> Best member of the band is the bassist, at least that's my Ooh, controversial. Because <laughs> I am a bassist, so, you know. Ah, there you go, it's biased. Yeah, I'd love to learn the bass. <laughs> I'd love you to learn the bass as well. <laughs> like that that saying about the bass player who has one lesson and then says i'm not going to go any back because i've got a gig next week (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty much how it went for me yeah i I joined a you know didn't have it i still don't really have any idea what i'm doing but ended up uh, finding myself in various musical endeavors playing shows and it kind of went from there as long as you play the right note in the right time all you need isn't it? yeah see as a bass player he's got this trick so if he misses the note he just slides his finger up and down so it looks like he's uh just doing a little slide into the chorus you know he talked to talk to our guitar player matt about that it's uh it's a good little number isn't it if in doubt yeah if in doubt slide it out you know <laughs> there are no wrong notes in this slide. yeah i never got very good at playing the bass but i got really good at hiding my mistakes that's how we get through life so moving on a bit, how did the band get together in the first place? So Circus 66 has existed, actually predates uh, Lee and I. We're, we're the relatively new blood uh, in this group. I think Matt started the band. Matt's the guitarist. Uh, Matt started the band as a bit of a university project back in 2012, 2013, something like that. And... Uh, and it really evolved over time. There's been a few lineup changes. Um, 
that that you know Annabelle added to the lineup uh, from a vocal perspective uh, over the years. But really, where where the Circus '66 that you'll you'll know and hear today, where it came from was I, I was out of out of music. I was effectively semi-retired from music. I was a little bit you know frustrated with playing covers gigs and session work. You know, I'd, I'd spent some time doing session work. It wasn't for me. And my wife actually said to me, you know, every time we go see a live band, every time anything musical is is in front of us, you are, it's like you've got this itch you can't scratch. So get out there and find a band to play with. And as if by magic, um, without me lifting a finger, uh, Matt found me on, uh, I think it was through like a local band page or a an Insta- couple of Instagram videos or something like that. He just reached out and said, We've just hired a new drummer. He's brilliant. Um, come along. We rehearse in the same town. Let's get together. Let's just kind of have a listen, uh, and we'll just see if it fits. And uh, I walked into that rehearsal room, very nervous. Didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really know the songs. Uh, you know, the previous records they'd released. I didn't really know anything about what what this whole thing was about, and just just showed up. And they, they haven't kicked me out yet. I just keep showing up. Yeah, I mean, I think Mustard's story there is it's pretty accurate. It was a, a pre-66 that existed before me and him joined. Um, but yeah, if we're going on the old personal level, mine's story's a bit similar as well. I got um, really excited when I was going to shows and booking things like that. And I hadn't played in a band for 10 years or so. The last gig I did in London, I think it was 2009 or 10. And the wife bought me a drum kit as a surprise for Christmas. Um, I loved it, played around in the house, you know, had some jams and stuff. And then I soon realised that being a drummer just in your house is is not as good as, you know, playing with musicians. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I did the same thing. What my wife calls uh, Tinder for bands. I joined that. Um, and, yeah, I got a message from Matt just saying, we're looking for a drummer. Bloody bloody blah, 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 and I was fortunate enough to go and see them at a show with their old lineup um, in Reading. It was a show in Reading. Yeah, gave them a listen and thought this is a bit of me, but it needs a, something else. And I think it needed what I bought and what Musters bring in, and that's just you know a bit more depth. Um, li- listening to some of the old recordings as well, it needed a bit of j- jazzing up. The, the sound was brilliant. You know, musically, fantastic. You know, I wouldn't have joined if I didn't think that. Um, it just needed, I don't know, re- redesigning a little bit. I don't think we've done, we didn't, we didn't steer too far away from it. We just, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but. We uh, we bring the thunder. We, you know, we, we laugh around. We bring the thunder, right? The, the, um, if you listen to the old record, uh, it's an EP called Showtime, re- released prior to Lee and I joining. Then you listen to what we've done with our new album, Follow the Black Crow. Hopefully you'll hear the difference, right? We, we try and kind of lock in, keep things grooving and, uh, and just make everything big. Give, the, you know, give Matt and Annabelle a really solid platform to just kind of do what they do best. Do you think that difference is just your, both of your styles and your musical influences kind of coming to bear on the band? No, no, I don't think so. No, I mean... Mine and Mustard, Luke, um, our influences are pretty different. I like the heavy stuff. My old band was called the Death Trucks. You know, that probably speaks 
for itself. And Mustard likes his um, his funky stuff and, and, you know, some of the old classic stuff like Extreme and whatnot. So we do bring that. The funk side was sort of there already. It didn't have massively the heavy side, but Matt, you know, the first thing he said, he was, he was into Clutch. That's where we clicked on. He likes Clutch. He likes a bit of the stoner stuff. So I said... I could definitely add some of that sort of groove behind it. But no, I don't, I don't think it's just because of us. I think they were ready because they had a few riffs and uh, and a, a few songs half written that they just couldn't finish. So it was kind of like they needed us. I feel like without being big headed, but Matt has said to me before, he wasn't sure you know, if this doesn't work out with me and, and Mustard, he's not sure if he wants to continue the project because it's been going, obviously, for so long, since, I think, 2013, did you say, or something like that? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it might may, may have died, you know, if the right people didn't come along, but it didn't it didn't deserve it. Yeah, I think I think we clicked. The, the thing that was apparent to me, even, you know, on a first listen with the old, uh, old older material, right, that, that we we didn't write, we weren't involved in it, um is the the guitar licks are insane and believe me anything you hear matt do on record he can do live and often improvise on top of it he's an insane guitar player and and the same goes for annabelle Her, i actually think annabelle is better in a live setting than she is recorded she has so much energy and the raw material, you know, as a as a someone who's been involved in music and, and whatnot for a long time, um, the raw material was always there. The potential was always there, and that we 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 get quite a lot of freedom. This is this all clicks because we all have different backgrounds, tastes in you know different tastes in music, different kind of perspectives on things. It's not there's no individual you know controlling benefactor in this it's it's a it's a collaborative effort between all of us and that's where i think you get you get hints of the old classic circus sound from what matt and annabelle are doing but then you get that little bit extra from some of the things we bring to the table i mean i've, I've got to ask because it is written all over your new record in various parts is who brings the southern rock influence because i hear it it comes out in the guitar most of all, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, if you listen to the EP, there, there's a lot of that on the Showtime EP. So a lot of that does come from Matt. He's got the guitar slides. He's got that southern twang. Annabelle as well, you know, she, she's got them roots in, in her too, you know, with, with her lyrics and with, with the writing styles when they work collectively. It all comes out. But, yeah, don't get me wrong, that's, that's a bit of me too. Leonard Skinner's, you know, right up my street. Like for instance, clutch. You know, that's that's a that's a heavy influence on my drum playing, particularly. Yeah, I don't I don't know about you though, Mister Mustard. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also a clutch fan, right? There's always similarities in the bands that we listen to, the types of things we like. Um, I, I I've never been, I wouldn't say I've I've been uh, massively influenced by southern rock, but how can you not? It's such a broad genre, and that that just that very American kind of powerhouse rock sound. I think most people will have heard it, even if they don't recognize that that's, you know, the, the label you put on it, right? And it's it's something that, yeah, it's unmistakable. But put it this way then, Phil, because you've picked up on it, would you define us as a Southern rock band? No. 
There you go. Genre definitions are so difficult, and I try and steer away from it. If I was to really give you a genre, I would describe you as heavy or hard rock with the occasional southern rock thing that kind of creeps in. That's what that's what I'd say. Easiest way. That's an easy out there, Phil. Come on. Because <laughs> it's, it's right. I think that's right, but I don't know. I don't really do genre definitions. Nah, good man. <laughs> So moving on a bit, what was your first gig like with the band? Because they were already established and you were coming into that. <laughs> it was probably a, probably a bit like the last one, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'll never forget it. It was my birthday, uh, March 2019, I think it was. 7th of March 2019. And we had been... So just to set the scene, I had been told... I hadn't been officially hired for this band right I, I wasn't you know I, I was learning songs I was I was kind of this was a testing the water let's see how you do live let's let's we're not going to make a decision on the final lineup until we've seen what you guys can do live and uh we had a fantastic venue a fantastic crowd and a fantastic set of acts uh working with us on the day it was at a place called the big red in london um great venue or it was a great venue it was indeed yeah very very sad to see that venue go. It was a great night. Uh, we had, uh, as I say, great crowd, great people. Other, the other bands were fantastic. The sound in there was incredible. The uh, I wish I could tell you more about the gig, uh, but for the fact that uh, I was quite drunk, um, something I would never normally do. First gig with a new lineup, you're trying to put your best self out there. Nah, I got drunk, horrendously drunk at that. So I don't actually remember the show. Uh, I've seen footage back afterwards, and actually, I'm surprised we did as we were as tight as we were because uh, I must have just been on autopilot. I, all I remember from that show was trying to not fall over in the middle of the set. But you know, it was it was a great night. It was a lot of fun had by everybody, and I think there was a, there was definitely a connection between us and and the folks in the crowd, and that's what live music's all about. Yeah, and to add to that. I'm probably the opposite. I, I like a drink when I'm playing. I think it just loosens me up a bit, probably slows me down a bit as well, keep the tempo more in time. But yeah, as a first show, bearing in mind this was in March 2019, and me and Mustard joined the band in December, January, so it was two months before our first show. I hadn't played drums in a band for 10 years. He's, he was a bit similar as well. It was tight, you know, but we had to throw, we threw in a cover um and i remember a review coming back from the critic saying you know what why did they do a cover their material alone their own material stands up on its own and it's killer but you know the, the critic doesn't know that you know we've just joined the band time was you know it was one of them gigs we didn't want to cancel or whatever matt, matt had this gig that we, we wanted to do we were pinned to do it it, it was a sellout show the gig was packed and um, yeah, so so we said we'd do it. We did it nervously, but we went up there, did our thing. As I say, we did one cover, got a little bit slated on that, but it was worth it because you know bad press is also good press. Shows us that our uh, our material is good enough to stand on its own, and we had lots of fun. And I think it solidified our places in the band, right? Absolutely, yeah, it definitely did. I, I... I, I certainly sensed, I don't know what it was like for you, Lee, but I, I, I sensed there was a lot more trust and confidence coming from, you know, the other guys. And, and it, it just seemed to lock 
lock in really tightly. Uh, and if we could do that off of really minimal preparation, right? Two new guys joining this, this band that already had a history. They already had songs written. They had a way of working, a way of doing things. Um, and we could slot into that and enhance it and do it tight and do it well um, <laughs> with a drunk bass player. Um, you know, that was obviously a good sign. I mean, uh, <laughs> my, my follow-up question maybe doesn't apply to Luke so much, given that you were drunk, um, but maybe more, maybe aimed more at Lee. Did you feel a, a real sense of nervousness because you were joining an established band that people knew and you were sort of the newbie to the situation? Uh, no, not really. I, I actually don't get nervous. You know, part of my job you know, in my actual career outside of the band, I do have to stand up in front of a lot of people and give speeches and presentations. It's quite new, that role to me, and I find that scares the hell out of me. But going up and getting behind a drum kit, I mean, you know, I'm kind of hidden away, but also I'm in I'm in the spotlight. People are watching me, you know, in the hundreds or whatever. There's people listening and judging me, you know, that, that takes a lot of courage. But yeah, I, it doesn't faze me at all. Actually, quite often I, I'm the guy backstage chilling everybody out and hyping them up and trying to get them to release the energy on stage. That's just me, though. I, I, I enjoy it. I don't get nervous. You know, we've had similar situations when we went in the BBC Live Lounge. I remember our mate on the bass player there. He was uh, very, very nervous about doing that because that's being exposed to a raw sound it's live on air recorded so you make a mistake then that's it but yeah me i'm cool you were the most confident person in the world when we did that we did a live lounge session a new a new kind of milestone for all of us i think to, to be uh, given a brilliant opportunity to do that um we love the guys at the bbc they've you know they've really supported us in that way and yeah live on air you can the, the nerves really start to kick in when you hear the dj announcing over the you know over the air introducing you and you you've got your your your, your count coming in and uh well, i think we needed we needed that little confidence boost we needed you know good old lee confident at the back ready to go come on guys let's show them what we're made of yeah and to fit to finish the final part of your uh question i was drunk <laughs> fair <laughs> that makes it more impressive that you were all in time then for that gig oh yeah always <laughs> i'm not sure if with more than a pint in me i could play bass with no. any sense of timing but it takes a special per a really special person like me to, to be able to do that um i'm probably coming across really uh cocky in this podcast but um it's not me at all i'm just being honest that's all you can be. So have you had any nightmare experience gigs with the band where maybe things went wrong and I'm getting lots of nods? Yeah. I feel like there's a story. I can think of two. Yeah. I mean, you, you say one and I'll see if I can guess the other one. All right. I'll, uh, I'll go with one where we had some equipment, some gear challenges. Um, we were playing a show, uh, quite an intimate little venue, but... A, a good one nonetheless we were debuting debuting a new song um track called light the fuse uh from the album um first time we'd ever played it live we'd only recently finished writing that song at that point in time and we'd never performed it live so we thought well let's try it let's see how the crowd reacts let's kind of test the waters a bit see if people like it 
And uh, yeah, there's quite a, anyone that's listened to that song, there's a, there's a bass break in the middle of it um, with some, some slappy kind of funky grooves going on. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, uh, I had a problem with my gear and the bass disappeared from the mix. So everyone's looking at me as if to say, what's going on? Fix it. You know, where's the bass? This is, this, you know, kind of looking at each other, wondering what the hell we do next. While I'm sweating and nervously trying to figure out and troubleshoot what the problem is. So for me, that was a nightmare. Complete nightmare. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that was a show. I remember the one. We're not going to name and shame any venues or anything like that, though, because it, half of it's not always their fault anyway, other than this one venue. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, another one that I was thinking of is uh, a place in London. I'll just say that. Um, this was a very, very, very small venue. Um, just to, to run up to it, the organisation was a bit awful. It was um, one of them, I guess, pay-to-play sort of thing. Uh, yeah they're, they're still about unfortunately I, you know i thought that left the music scene when i did 10 years ago but no it's still a thing um and yeah it, it was about the size of my downstairs toilet we didn't get treated very well i think we walked away with about six pounds in our pocket as a there you go that's how many tickets you sold and all of that jazz our set was a total of 22 minutes uh, the gig was on a Sunday, and it was replacement bus services all the way from Farnborough. So it was about a three, three and a half hour journey to, to, to play somewhere for 22 minutes. And it was, yeah, it was just a bit annoying. But we do sort of use that example quite often because, because we were so angry at the promoters and, and everything like that. We actually gave it everything we had. And it was sort of blew the, the the tiny little roof off the tiny little venue, and uh, we had a had a laugh of it really. And we looked back at it, and you know, we, we said, it, "We I think we just changed our ways of how we book shows in the future, uh, what we're going to be, how we're going to respond, and just make ourselves a bit more professional when it comes to things like that." I think that's a big big takeaway for any bands listening that. When you have a gig, if you have a teeny tiny gig that feels like it's going awfully and there's only, you know, a man and a dog in the venue, you really do have to give it your all. You can't have a gig where you you don't try because that person may go away and write a really bad review. And then before you know it, you know, it kind of has this effect. But you also just want to throw yourself into every gig you get. Yeah, you know what? I think in some ways those shows where you're playing to, you know, one man and his dog, they're almost more important in some ways. It's all about mindset. And we tend to think of them, we, we're very lucky in that we don't, you know, we, we've put a lot of hard work in and we don't, we don't have shows like that anymore. It's, all, it's almost like a rite of passage where you have to do it to learn, you know, you kind of earn your, you earn your stripes, you know, you, you, you pick up your battle scars along the way and you learn your lesson and you, you know, you move on, whether that's doing something differently in the way that you book or the agents you use or, whatever it might be but whatever show for any bands out there listening to this whatever gig you get blow the roof off the place you have to give it absolutely 150 percent absolutely just go for it and, and if if it's one man and his dog it's a free rehearsal great way to look at it free rehearsal it takes six hours to travel there and back but you do get paid you get paid six pounds at the end so it's fine winner
<laughs> you might get a pint in London for that. I, I actually think our rider was one can of Foster's as well. What, one can between all of you? Oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Wow. Quarter each. Fair enough. <laughs> of course, the way it was uh, sold to us was, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure that you're fed and watered. Not a problem. And when we get there, it's, here's your can of, of Foster's. What about the other guys? They're like, no, no, that's between you. Okay, thanks. So my final um, question, I guess, about gigging is, as we record this, you've recently uh, released an album. um, And as it goes out in September, (laughs) that would have been a little while ago. And to accompany that, you put out a live entire um, of the album gig from KK Steel Mill, if I remember rightly, that's where it was recorded. Yep. And I've got to say, that was a pretty epic release for an album. What was it like to do a gig to cameras? Well, I think, um, firstly, KK's was amazing. It, 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 was, it was strange, a lot of hard work and very tiring to do, but also in, uh, an immense amount of fun. And I can't think of a better way to spend a day um than doing that it's uh it's clearly you know for me uh a superb venue that the crew that we had supporting us on the day was unreal really really helpful you know lovely guys um all very very professional right the way for you know the sound engineering the video production guys everyone was there that you know entirely focused on right let's let's capture some magic here let's get you know get the best representation of the band as we can it was all performed live. So what you see in the KK Steel Mill uh, footage and the audio you hear, that was all captured live. And it was something I think we wanted to do to really show what we're all about live. Right? There's, there's a lot of, I personally take a lot of, I have a lot more respect for bands that can do, they can do what they do live, uh, almost above what they can do on record because there's, there's an awful lot, as you know, Phil, that you can do on record to clean up a record, make it sound a particular way, right? EQing things, etc. right? Um, and for me, you can't beat a great live band. Um, I, I always want this band to be, I want this band to be known as a brilliant live band. Stadium Rock, you two, that's us. <laughs> uh, yeah, so behind the cameras and all, and all that jazz. So, well, this is, probably well the fourth time that we've been behind the cameras in this new circus lineup um we released three music videos uh running up to as our trailers for the the album release so we did um thousand miles from home that was shot at a local pub near us a local rock venue pub in guildford and then we did monster which was again is sort of a, a jam in a, in, a, in a house with a bit more of a, a storyline behind it and that was captured with, with a bit more of a storyboard and then the uh, the third video we decided to not be the lead roles in the music video for Jekyll or Hyde um, we, we could have done it um, but we chucked a bit more money at making um, making it stand out a little bit and, and do something a bit more cinematic because we haven't really seen too much of that a lot of the band music videos we see these days are very much, yeah, a, a band standing and, and playing their instruments and maybe some shaky camera footage. Um, so, yeah, being behind the camera at KK's is, yeah, I mean, I feel a bit awkward sometimes being on camera. You know they're there. I think it's really h- quite hard to look past that. Um, 
just cameras being in your face all the time. I mean, it is for eight hours. So I was playing drum, drums for eight hours as well. So I was knackered. I was sweaty, probably hungover. <laughs> um, but it, all in all, fantastic experience. And, and I echo what Mustard said as well. You know, the, the crew behind it were fantastic. And we had um, Crazy Cowboy there uh, helping us. We had Bob Freeman from ERB magazine. We had New Wave of Classic Rock as well. So it was all in all very productive day and hopefully yeah it, it came across to to showcase what we're like live and um first of all as well thanks for tuning in phil it's all right it was good fun it was good fun yeah. to watch thank you
Thank you.